And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this morning, someone fresh back from a week in Vancouver, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. All right. Good morning. It's great to be back. Nine days in Vancouver in a hotel room. That was, it was wonderful for about three days. <laughs> just nice to be home. Nice to, sunshine. I knew it was still up there. I just didn't get a chance to see it for nine days. They call it BC for black clouds, I do believe. But anyway, we love them. And uh, it's so great to, I tried not to tell them how wonderful it is here because I didn't want a bunch of them moving here and driving prices up. So, all right. And wasn't Dale great? Oh my gosh, you know, wherever she is, wonderful, wonderful. You know, that Chapman stick I found out, I was talking to Nathan Aswell in Vancouver, and uh, you play the bass and the, the other strings, the other, so it's a double, it's a bass and a guitar. And so she's got all those things going on at the same time. It's like, wow, amazing. Talk about multitasking. All right. So with that said, there she is. I was just bragging about you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And just the beautiful consciousness, too. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free. And if not, stay seated. And we'll pray. We'll do a sacred invocation. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room so I invite you to join me in this conversation with spirit and I move through that portal of the divine in my recognition. So as I recognize Spirit's life, this father-mother presence, this principle, as I recognize it, my heart is opened, cracked wide open. And in that cracking open of my heart, I realize that that life that I am in recognition of and in love and devotion to is my life. It is your life. And so I breathe into the sweetness of this moment and I'm reminded that I'm not alone in anything I do. That my journey has been eternal as, as your journey. And that we've come together by divine right appointment to be here together in this life, in this time. And all of the eternal beings that are right and perfect for us as a, as a reflection of our deepest levels of knowing in our consciousness, in the conscious and the subjective, show up. 
And so you and I are blessed by all of it, despite what it feels like and looks like, to stand together in this awareness, to stand in the nobility and the pride of our divinity without confusing that with the pride of our personality. But each one divine in nature, divine at our core, divine at our source. One with source, and yet one with the mystery. And so I stand in the faith and the trust with you this day, knowing that everything important for you and I to realize, to be mindful of, to be attentive to, and to apply our volition, our perception, and to shift and change anything and everything in my awareness, in your awareness, that any way, shape, or form limits our expression of our finest self, of the beauty, the joy, the celebration, the abundance, the health, the vitality, in any way, shape, or form. I, I release anything in my awareness that I have carried with me perhaps for years unknowingly at a deep subjective level that is limiting my, particip my participation in life. And my participation is the opportunity to identify and to develop and to share my gifts, your gifts. For this I give thanks. I know that this day is wonderful and successful in every way. I pick one thing this morning that has shifted my heart whether it be a song or a word or a prayer or a smile or a hug, whatever it is, I amplify that experience of gratitude so completely and fully in my own experience that I am, a, I am a changed person. I am in a transformation of my own consciousness. And standing with you in that, I say life is sweet. For this I give thanks, knowing it is already done in the mind of the one that I stand in that faith as you do as well, that knowing and that openness and that surrender, together we say, and so it is. All right, it's just wonderful to be here and be back. I'm always, I'm always impressed upon how much I miss it when, until I'm not here, and then it's like, I was, <laughs> I was a bit, I, I, didn't, I didn't sleep well in Vancouver. And um, so about four hours I was good for, and then I'd have to nap during the day because I'd find myself falling asleep at sessions, and it's just, I don't know what it was. But, but anyway, I got home, and so my schedule's still a little wonky. And I, so I went to bed at 9 last night. I think I'll get up early because I read a bit, but I was, you know, when you're real tired, you can't retain a lot. And so I went to bed at 9, and I had this nightmare that my talk was so bad today that my wife was crying. <laughs> so at 1 in the morning, I got back up. I said, this isn't going to work. I better get back to work here. So that's how my mind works. So do you think it's important to me to deliver something of value? No, not at all. Anyway. But see, it's because, because I wanted to talk today about the power of love. And I wanted to talk about the, 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 the nuances of it. Because as Dr. Holmes, I, I, I pulled it out of um, our book of the year, um, A new, new Design for Living, over there on our purple banner for 2013. It's a beautiful book. And in it, Dr. Holmes said that, you know, we have a lot of things that we love. We love our families. We love our children. We love our, our, our countries. We love a, a painting or a motion picture. We love a steak or flower or songs. And in many cases, he says, we're, what we're doing is we're describing a liking or a fondness or a, or a sentimentality for it. And, and so we all have those varying degrees of love in our lives. And... And so he really talks about what's the most valuable thing in this chapter, which is called The Power of Love. He didn't know that Celine Dion would make that song, song famous one day. He never met Celine. But um, 
but you know what propels us forward in life is, our, is, our, is that, that energy, that vibration, that, that uh, momentum. And, it, and it's that longing to be part of and to express that finest uh, aspect of ourselves. And so if we can have a conversation about that, how that works in our lives and where we may be limiting it, I think it's valuable. You know, Dr. Ken Gordon got up at, the, at uh, uh, Vancouver. He's our spiritual leader, and he's been with us. He was here for my ordination or doctorate ceremony. And, and he talked about how we get attached to form. Has anybody here ever been attached to form? Do you have a, like, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Zoila. She's, we have one person here attached to form. <laughs> and see, form is, is so important because form is how we measure but yet, what we're all about, the only thing our movement has, I love this when Dr. Ken said this, but the only thing that we have is, is the transformation of consciousness. And what, and what, the, what consciousness precedes is experience. And so as our, as, our, as our consciousness is shifted and changed, what happens is the form shifts and changes. And yet, we get so attached to form, sometimes it's difficult to perceive. When I was there, I, was, I stood for election again. I got the one-year term when we integrated, so I was the third minister on our leadership council that was elected, and so I put my name in because I didn't even feel like we'd scratch the surface yet, and I said, well, I want to do this again. And I went through this election through the, throughout the week, and there were times when I would get caught up in it and think about it, and you know, Laura and I would discuss it and, because there were um, d- definitely some different choices for people this go-round. And there was part of me that also said, well, I'm okay if I don't get reelected because I got plenty of stuff to do. And then the other part of me says, but there's so much I want to be part of. And what I, but what I knew about it in my heart of hearts is I've been at this long enough to realize that our journey individually and collectively and as an organization is, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so some people got up at our business meetings and we, we had a bit of a little campaign evening where the candidates got two minutes to speak. So I was able to tell them everything I know in two minutes, which I think put me over the top. But, but, but the point being is that what I realize is that I want to be part of this consciousness. I want to be part of that group in terms of giving birth to some new things that we can do collectively. And it also takes about three to five years for a new organization to, to come together and gel. But there were people standing up and saying, you know, I'm not getting my needs met and I need this and this and this. And so, but we're always, what it is is to hold the space so you can listen to it and not have to make anybody wrong. Um, and so I, I have such great gratitude. I, um, I was reelected for three years, so I want to thank you for your support and love and giving me the space to do that. Thank you. Because it's your support. When I talk about the things that we can do, you've helped, over, over the last 10 years, you've helped me grow and shift and change and transform my consciousness. And it hasn't been because you come up to me all the time and say how wonderful I am. See, what, what, what my declaration was when I was becoming a minister and practitioner was, it, it used to uh, be over the, the door as you went out in the Fillmore Church where I, where I first studied uh, practitioner work and, and did my ministerial training, but it said, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. And so, do you know what happens when you're the light? When you're the light, what happens? You attract bugs. You do. And so when you understand that, then what you get to do, because the bugs start coming and you go, oh my gosh, don't these people know I'm the light of the world? (laughs) How did they miss that? Because what the bugs will do is they'll say, no, you're not. 
You're full of hooey. No, you're not. You're not the light of the world. And so, but what you get to do, you have been so kind and generous and patient with me, is you get to continue to build a container of, of love and possibility. So that what my, my role in this, despite what's coming at me, is to, to grow in love enough so that I can look at all of the situations. As Ernest Holmes said, to, to look at something till it no longer has power over you. To create a container of love big enough so that I, what I can do is stand with you and have you keep flying into me. And still say, I get it. And my role here is to love. Now, it doesn't mean that you like. There's a huge difference between liking and loving. But I won't get into the people I like and the people I don't like because I'm here to love everyone. But, and that's, but see, that's not just me. You're, you're right there with me. So when I'm saying this to you, you know, how does that feel for you? Because are you ready to go out in the world and love everybody? Yeah. Are you? Cool. Good for you. Because it starts with willingness. Even if we don't have the map, it starts with willingness. So I want to talk about that because the power of love is really what Holmes talks about. It, it, it's, it, it is underneath everything. And what love requires is our yes to life. Love requires our yes. And what hate requires is our no. So when we're hating, when we're hating ourselves or we're hating somebody else, it's saying no to life and it's shutting us off from that flow of life that Holmes talks about all the time. And then it doesn't mean that we're bad and wrong. It's just that we're not very much, we're not, we're not standing in support. We're not standing in co-creation with spirit so that we can have a, a, a more wonderful experience. What happens for us on this journey. Um, before I left, I had a really powerful week which really got me back into contemplating um, a forgiveness. We had a wonderful discussion at, at uh, Prosperity Plus about forgiveness and Mary Manna Morrissey was talking about the potency of forgiveness. And I love it because we, we, you know, when we're able to speak from our hearts and express where we are, it's valuable for all of us. And I went home and I, I thought about it a lot because people shared with me, you know, there, there are things that happen on the, on the planet that are very difficult for us to forgive. And I'll, so I'll share my own journey with it. I, I was raised by a, a mother and father. We had 11, I had 10 brothers and sisters. There were 11 of us. We were always in competition for attention and resources. And it was just, you know, let's get mine and, and all that stuff. Because as a kid, that's what you want and, uh, and, and need for the most part. But my father was very volatile. And, and so he didn't, um, he didn't use his words well. He, he was just explode at random times because he wasn't good at expressing and staying current with how he felt. So he would sandbag his emotions and then he would blow up and then he would go after us. He wouldn't go after the girls. He would go after the girls emotionally. He would go after the boys physically. And so as I got older and I started getting into spiritual practice, I, started, I sat down with someone and I said, you know, I really need to sort this out because I'm really having an issue with this. And she, she, she gave me an opportunity to look at it and gave me permission because... Uh, I heard this one before I left, that there are things that happen. What about those big things in our lives that you just can't forgive? There, you know, there are people that you just want to go, and for, unfortunately we don't believe in hell, but you want to rot in hell for the rest of their lives because of what they've done. And so where do you wish they'd go and rot? I don't know. But in their own backyards, I guess. But I sat down with her and she said to me, maybe you can never love your dad, but, but you can get okay with him. And what she did was she gave me permission to start looking at how I could shift my perception so I didn't have to keep pouring a bunch of energy into hating my dad or being resentful. 
And what was a call to awareness for me in it was because I started having kids. And the only way I knew how to parent was my dad's style. And I, and I took a vow and I said, I'm not going to raise my kids like that. I can't. This pattern stops now. And so it gave me the possibility of just saying, okay, I probably I'm never going to love the guy, but I can get okay with him. And then that opened the doorway, the willingness for me to step through it. And all of a sudden, as I, as I continue to build a bigger container of love for myself, because, you, you know, when you're, when you're raised and, you're, and, you're, and, you know, every so often you get beat up and slapped, you find ways in your adult life to get beat up and slapped. And I don't want to get beat up and slapped anymore. And I didn't want to beat up and slap anybody. And so it was in that, but it was just making it okay and saying, you know what, what I know is this guy did everything he could to the best of his ability. Did I like it? No. Was it correct? No. But he came into my life for a purpose. And, and, and if it hadn't been for him, I probably wouldn't have been so committed to my spiritual practice, my mom and dad. And to be able to stand before you and say, you know what, I know sometimes, sometimes things happen in our lives that we'll never be able to forgive. Because that's a big one. But maybe you can get okay with it. Because then you don't pour your energy into that anymore. So I think about my dad. By the time my dad died, I was on the phone with him. I was living in the basement here. I'll never forget. I got a call. It was like, he said that I, I knew something was happening. And they said that he was in a hospice. And my sister said that, that I called him. And as, as she was walking down the, the, the hallway with the phone in her hand, he'd been sort of comatose for a few days, you know, ready to make his transition. Hadn't been verbally communicative. And he looked up at my, my mom and said, Pat. My sister was bringing the phone down the hallway to him. I was on the phone, and he knew. And I, I never forgot that. They, they told me that after you know, I, I went back for the, his uh, memorial. But I just said, Dan, I love you. And I know you did the best you knew how. And I, I still feel that way. And so it's not for me to say what you did was right, no, the, 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 see, the gifts he did and uh, the gifts he gave to me were, you know, he, he did life the best way he knew how. And then I got to look at it because we've all been given free will and volition. And so I'm just sharing you with my journey. I'm sharing my journey because what, what I realize is I can, spend, I can spend the bulk of my energy hating someone because what they did was wrong. And I don't agree with it. And I don't stand for it. And so I'm going to stand here and I'm going to keep hating it. That's one choice I have. Or I can get okay with it and say, you know what? I'm going to use that as an inspiration show that I can make a commitment to, do, to carry on his legacy and say, we're now going to stand because he's still with me. Now, Dad, here's where we're going. We're going to stand for love in this world. Even for the people that fly planes into buildings? Yes. Even for people that, that kill indiscriminately and, 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 uh, and hurt people? Yes. We have to be able to stand in that as the light of the world. It doesn't mean that we, that we respect it or honor it or welcome more of it, but to realize that I'm not going to let any of that diminish who I know I'm supposed to be. And as I do my prayer work, as I do my meditation, as I go and I listen to you guys, I realize that, that people have said stuff to me just standing in the back row there. That if I really took it personally, I, you know, I'd have a whole list of people, and oh, I hate you, hate you. 
Oh, here she comes. I'm going to stand over here. Maybe she won't want to get a hug from me this week. You know what? See, I, I have to start small with this. And I realized yesterday we got home and we were getting stuff. We were out of groceries and I had to go to the store, which was good. Laura said, I want to clean. <laughs> Cleaning the house is not my spiritual gift. <laughs> is Laura in here? I hope she heard that. <laughs> It's not my spiritual gift. And she knows that. So when we start cleaning, I get really tense because I don't know where to stand. And I don't know what needs to get cleaned up. So I just start picking, <laughs> start picking everything up. And I say, you know, every once in a while I look over for her to nod. And she, you know, because she, when she's in cleaning mode, she's in cleaning mode. But anyway, she finally cut me some slack and said, we need groceries. And I'm like, this is great. I get to leave the house. So we made a list, and you know what my new spiritual practice is? I got to tell you, you talk about it. 59 years I've been on the planet, and I realized yesterday, and I've been doing this stuff for 20 years, that when I go into a store, when I go to Safeway, and I have my cart, and I'm in the express lane with 12 items or less, the first thing I do when I get there is I count everybody's items in their basket. <laughs> and if somebody's got, oh, God forbid, if somebody's got 15 items and they're in the 12 items or less row, holy cow, there is a nuclear explosion going off in me. And so I was doing it yesterday, and I said, what the hell are you doing? Really, Mr. I'm the light of the world? Really? I'm so, I, gotta, I just got to be honest with you, one time in my life here, that... But I think you just have to make it real. I mean, because this is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> we don't have, you know, Scud missiles coming in. We don't have warring tribes. We don't have armed people. In a, you, know, we're, you know, like the, in the Middle East where they're fighting at that, such intensity and hatred. I got, I got nuclear war going on in my head because somebody's got too many items in the express lane. And so I just said, you know what? Do you really think you are, are, are you really uh, in touch with your spirituality, with your divine nature, with your, that beautiful diamond of, of who we talk about every week? And then as soon as somebody gets in, you know, express lane with one too many rolls of, of uh, bounty towels, and I realize I've got to make peace with this. You've got work to do, buddy. I was, I was, and, and how this expands, I'm going to tell you how this, see, this starts with me, but if I can't be the present, so I said two weeks ago, because what came up is, you know, I, I say this stuff, then I got to go out and apply it, that's my problem, <laughs> and I, you know, I talked about guns, and, and I want to back up, because someone said that I, I what, what I said, I got a, a real long letter on my way to Vancouver, look, I don't have a problem if people own guns, I'm not against people owning guns, I use it as an example of consciousness, but what someone heard was I said that, that, that murders, and I, I should have said deaths, but I said murders by mistake, so I said I would clean that up. I said murders, deaths in eight, not all states, and they heard all states, because I got all the statistics about how many deaths in car accidents, how many deaths in, in guns. And I'm glad somebody's paying attention. So, I, you know, because I get it, and I just say thank you for paying such good attention, and I'll clean it up when I get back, so that's what I'm doing. But in eight states, deaths from guns now uh, exceed deaths from, from automobile accidents. So it means there's just a lot of guns out there. What I also know about that is that you're in the consciousness where you're going to take your own life, you're going to terminate yourself, and a lot of I think is, is self-inflicted, uh, you're going to find a way. The problem isn't guns. 
what I was talking about is the fear-based consciousness that I got to protect myself because there's, it's, it's fearful out there. That's what I was talking about. Because if it's not guns, it's going to be knives, or it's going to be bows and arrows, or it's going to be bomb shelters, or it's going to be something. It's just the way we work. If we care, you know what? If we don't have a consciousness of divine, this is what I know. It's consciousness. We teach the transformation of consciousness. If we don't have a, con- a true consciousness of who we are and we cure cancer, we'll create some other disease to kill ourselves with. That's how consciousness works. So I get it. Let's cure cancer and let's f- you know, feed the hungry and all this stuff. But if we don't make the transformation of consciousness, we'll just create another lack and limitation. I just know that. That's the way consciousness works. So I'm, I see we get trapped in the form. I'm not concerned about the guns. The person that wrote me the letter, I hope I, I have no problem with their owning guns. I don't. I'm just, what I'm here is for, I'm here for the love. I'm here for being a responsible human being. You know, I, I'm, I'm here for things that, I'm here for people, everybody having something in their lives that's age appropriate and that they can use responsibly. Whether it be an automobile or a, a power tool or a gun. I don't, I don't let my kids, I didn't let my kids drive the car at seven years old. You know, for me, I think it, there's nothing wrong with having to go down and take a written exam and then proving to a driving instructor that you can actually handle the vehicle. I just think that makes sense. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we did that with all the things that, that might put us in harm's way? And so I, I, I'm all for it, but I think it's got to be responsible. And so, anyway, I think I cleaned that up now. If I haven't talked to me later on the way out the door. Or I'll hear from you by email this week, I'm sure. But I, and it's good that you do that. It is. I'm not, but I'm just, I'm just saying my point was not that, that, uh, um, that piece. But what I wanted to expand upon is, so here I am. I'm, I'm waging war in the express line. And Fred Luskin, I was reading Fred, and Fred wrote, wrote a book on forgiveness. And if I hadn't had the conversation before I left, I wouldn't have picked it up again. But I was, look, I was uh, and I watched an interview with him. And he's written this wonderful book. He teaches happiness at Stanford University. Happiness at Stanford University. And he said, these students are so stressed out. It's like they come in and they go, oh, my God, yeah. What do I need to know? And what he was saying, and I've, I've done this myself, I've been to New York City a few times in the last several years, and I love New York. I love going, and it's just wonderful. It's like a, you know, it's like a great big Disneyland. And I always love going on the double-decker red buses, because you see everything. You get off anywhere you want, get back on when they come by. And I've gone by the United Nations a few times. And Fred was saying as a boy, he grew up in New York, that the United Nations was so special. Now, the United Nations, as most of us know, is a place that represents we want to have peace on the earth. It was created as a result of world wars and conflict. And we pretty much uh, have not stopped fighting, at least the United States hasn't, uh, since the, and which typically involves Canada at some capacity, either as peacekeepers or whatever. Uh, but since World War II, there's been a fight going on. And so what Fred said is that he went back there finally uh, about a year ago, and he said, you walk into the United Nations and it's falling apart. The paint's peeling, stuff's crumbling, nobody's taking care of anything. And he said, you look out, and I've seen this, because you do. You look down the street, and right, right adjacent to it is the Trump Tower. Donald Trump's, one of his many buildings in New York. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's got some kind of bronze facade on it. It's just gorgeous, and it goes straight up, and it's just doorman standing there in a uniform. And he said, it speaks volumes to our priorities. Here's the United Nations, which is for peace, which we haven't had since 1945. Well, earlier than that, 39, I think the things were happening in Europe in the 20s even. Falling apart, no resources going in. But here's Trump Tower. 
And I thought about the metaphor in my own life of what is the sacred temple in my own being of consciousness. Because when I go into Safeway, I'm not feeding world peace. Especially when I go to the express line and see people are not keep, you know, maintaining that, the integrity of that express line. I'm not feeding that center of peace in me. I'm in the turmoil, I'm caught up in the form. But if I truly believe that I'm always in the right place at the right time because I live my life in close communion with that divine presence that I am, then the delay in my life, the standing in line as I support other people and getting the things they need, because chances are they're not happy. There's, there's, there's determinations of what people that are unhappy can't relax. People that are unhappy have a very difficult time being kind to themselves. People that are unhappy are always in a hurry. And I've been unhappy. I know when I'm standing in line and someone's doing this, and you know, it's like it just you know, I'm going to go count and see. I'm going to make sure. I'm like, it's like somebody put me in charge. Like God, I had a vision one night, and God said, your job on planet Earth is now to be the express lane monitor. So you count every time you go, okay, you, yeah, you're good. And you, oh, you, don't, you have enough to hold in your hands. You're good, too. Oh, that'll be quick. None of my business. But when I step into that, then I'm not feeding. Because... What, what I'm telling myself is there's not enough. There's not enough time for me to stand here because I'm too important. Whatever I'm making up, because we're making this stuff up. We're making all of it up. God says, go ahead and name everything you want to name. You know what? You want to, Patrick Cameron, you want to keep hating your dad for eternity? You go for it. We are not, Dr. Holmes said we're not punished by our sin, or for our sins, we're punished by our sins. My sin is an error in my own thinking. Let's put that down. Let's put this down. Let's go and just know, uh, you know, Laura and I did it. We stood together, held our hands in the trip to Vancouver. We just did a beautiful prayer treatment. Our trip was just lovely. Just lovely. We have never in our lifetime, never in, a, I mean, we, we had this, they put me, I was a member of the leadership council, and they put us on this golden, Fairmont golden floor. You could go down there and have this beautiful little breakfast, and then you could go down and have this. And at five o'clock in the afternoon, they served these. Uh, oh, during the day, you got scones. I didn't even know what a scone was till I went there, and they had this like creamy, buttery thing. I was like, oh my gosh, this was just like. <laughs> Laura disappeared for about an hour one day. I said, where have you been? She says, I was down having a scone. <laughs> oh, okay. So here we are. All this opulence, more and more and more. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But we are a culture. It, it, see, for us to be wise in this, for us to be um, uh, intelligent about this, it's, it's, the, the destination is not more and more. When, you're, when you don't have enough, I remember in L.A. when I was doing the contracting and it was, you know, I knew about religious science and I knew about affirmative prayer and I'd use it because I wanted to manipulate my life and have more and more and more because I wanted, and I had nothing. So it was a great tool for me because that nothing in my life was propelled me into really getting proficient at it. And then I realized, oh my God, all the things that brought me into this thing, all the things that I thought I needed, I no longer need. And then you're like, what the heck am I doing? But what it brought me to is a deeper relationship with myself. 
See, I think the reason that our, our movement doesn't grow more is because what we believe is we're God. You and I are God. You and I are the thing itself. But we, if we don't understand the kingdom we're in of consciousness, if we're in victim consciousness and saying we're God, then we, our God is a punishing God because all we know is pain. If we're in the second kingdom, which is manifestation, then it's all about more and more and more. And it's egoic nature. And then, and then when we're in the third kingdom, which is co-creation, it's that space where it's all as well. It's all as well. So now when I go into to Safeway, what I know is it's a call for me to stand in all as well. If I'm in a hurry, then I just say, I'm not going to go. I'll go later. Rather than stand there and get all tensed up and, and get my undies in a bun because I can't get through the line fast enough. But to manage myself and be kind to myself. And, and, you, know why, and you know how you tell when you're in your egoic nature? Because I've told people, well, we believe the divinity lives within all people. But when I'm standing in the second kingdom of consciousness and they're coming at me in the first or second kingdom, they're saying, you guys are nuts. You guys can proclaim yourself God. And I'll say, well, not the, the God. But that's, that's the misunderstanding with it. And it's a big, it's a big call. You want to say you're the light of the world? Because the bugs do show up. But we know, I know I'm in my egoic self when... I cannot go into my practices. I cannot pray when I'm in that, my personality and my ego. I cannot meditate effectively when I'm in my personality and my ego. And so what my egoic self says, I don't need to meditate. Can't do it. My mind's too busy thinking of important things. I got to get down to the Safeway and count all the people's stuff in line. Because God forbid... They're burning daylight, as John Wayne would say. Got important things to do, stand in line with you guys. So the, ego, the egoic nature is so strong, that's why we have spiritual practice. I need spiritual practice, and I need meditation. I need forgiveness in my life. I got people, I go, to, I go to Vancouver, I sat down with one of my favorite ministers of all time, and we're having dinner, and I said, you know, what I've learned in my life, where I am in my practice, is I'm okay that people don't like me. Because when you get together with a bunch of ministers, there's people that don't like you. There are people that hate your guts. And when I realize I've been, for, for 16 years in ministry, I've been hating their guts back. There are people that won't even look me in the eye, and I don't even know what I did. I always want to say to them, you know, you really should really get to know me before you hate me, because then you'd really hate me. <laughs> but the point is, what I realize is, I got, for me it was huge just to make peace with, there's, there are people here who don't like me. So I'm sharing this with a friend. He sat down at our table. I was a table host, along with Randy Guthrie, our youth. The two of us and Laura and I were there, and this wonderful minister that I adore sat down with me. And we started talking about this, and he said, oh, he said, and, I, and he's probably 10 years ahead of me in ministry. Beautiful man. And he said, oh, there's people in this room that, that can't stand me. And I thought, oh, because you think it's just you. Whew, that's a relief. And so what I get to do with that then is I get to do my forgiveness work because I don't even know what it's about. And, and so what I know is I do my work in my prayer chair and it's just simply to get okay with them. We're not going to hang out and be buddy-buddy, but I can be respectful and I can be loving and I can be kind. Even though I don't know what story's going on for them. And, and so I share this with you because this is life. There are people out there that won't like you just because you look like somebody they don't like that you're a Vancouver Canucks fan instead of an Oiler fan. See, for me, I was sitting in the airport and I come back and all the Vancouver Canucks stuff's hand in there. 
And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in oiler country, right? This is our team. And I realize, you know, the only reason that I pull for the Oilers is because you're happier when they win. <laughs> I like that. I like you guys being happy. Eskimos, I like it when they win because you're happier. If they lose, you guys are miserable. And I got to pretend like I'm miserable with you. But it's all life. It's just, it's just life. You know, I was sitting with this beautiful minister that, that I adore, and somebody quoted him, uh, Dr. Ken uh, Gordon quoted him. Is he's very well respected and loved, in my opinion. And he just said, you know, it's just, you got to remember, it's just church. And I thought, yeah, you just got to remember, it's just life. If we're eternal beings and we've come to this incarnation, I think this is a significant incarnation for many of us. It's an honor and a privilege to be alive at this point in time, and it's crucial that we get this stuff and give birth to it in our own lifetime, in our own way. I believe that we will see a world that works. As Dr. Ken said this, and I agree with him, Dr. Ken Gordon. He said, I believe in my lifetime I'll see a world that works for everyone. It's closer than you think, but it looks real scary out there. While, I was, while we were gone, um, Laura and I have been reading a book called The Looming Tower, and it's a story of the Islamic movement, the, the, the radical Islamic movement, and how the resentments have built since the, the 40s, the 1940s. It's the Looming Towers, um, uh, Al-Qaeda to the 9-11. And it's the history of these people being tortured and marginalized and oppressed and put in prisons and tortured for months and months and months and being released and coming out. People that were moderately fundamental and all of a sudden are radically fundamental and want nothing but the destruction of the West and anything unlike what they stand for, which is basic Islamic Muslim teaching 1,500 years ago. It's not all the Muslims. They're wonderful Muslims. But these are the radical entrenched Muslims, and it's their history of how it was created. So here is this divine presence that says, you go and, and you have dominion over your life and, give, and identify it. And here's people that have, have, have in, in, invested themselves in the destruction of everything and anything unlike what they know to be true. And so what I know about that is, is that I, I cannot participate in that at that same level, at that same frequency. I can honor it and I can be mindful of it and I can say no to it. But what I know is what, what I'm called to do is stand in great love. So, yeah, I have, I mean, here I am in the organization of ministers that, that I'm not in high relationship with. I go to Safeway and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm upset because someone's in the express line. It all, and all of that stuff contributes to that vibrational tone of hatred, which is a no to life. And I want to live in the yes in life with you guys. And I know you do. I want to live in the yes. The yes is love. Dr. Holmes talks about it in the chapter that I'm referring to. He says, Holmes, Dr. Holmes says this, God, creative intelligence, dwells on his creation for expression. The expression depending on God for its, the expression depending on God for its existence. God could not stop creating or loving. And neither can the creation cease loving or expressing God without limiting experience of the source of his existence, in which case it would gradually cease to be. In the mind of man, we find the only created thing which can consciously deprive itself of accepting God's love, and when this is done, the results are disastrous. We're the ones that shut it off. We're the ones that deprive it. We're the ones that say no to life. We're the ones that hate. And all we do is just shut off that valve of spirit. 
And so for me, what's required when I go out in the world is to be mindful. And those little places where I think it doesn't matter, where you're not around so I'm not on my best behavior, I'm not living my life so that I can impress you. I need to impress myself. I need to live in... Fred Luskin says that there's three things that he teaches happiness at Sanford. He said the first thing is that people realize what's important. If you don't have money and $1,000 shows up in your life... When I was in L.A., I lived that way. I was like a heroin addict. I would work these construction jobs, and I'd be down to no money left, and I'd need another $1,500 to finish, and then I'd sell another job. It was like, oh, got there. This was my consciousness. So then I'd go and I'd pour myself into that. I'd finish this one and I'd dive into that one and it was going to be great and I was going to have a whack of money at the end and I was going to go on a holiday. I'd get down to the end and I'd be $1,500 short. I better sell another. So I'd treat like crazy to sell another job. And then I'd get that one fixed. And I did that for years and years and years. Never occurred to me to pray for surplus. What the hell would I do on a vacation? I was so busy working all the time I wouldn't know what I'd do anyway. I'd have to take a class, a two-week seminar on how to relax. Is it, can anybody relate to that or is it just me? Yeah. But it's, conscious, it's a shifting and changing of consciousness and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It doesn't happen over a weekend. I'd love to tell you, I love these guys that do the weekend seminars. Come on in, we'll change your whole life in a weekend. Really? I wish it were true. I always want to say to them, so what do you do in that whole group? I know you guys are the human potential movement, but what do you do when somebody within the group dies? Do you have somebody there that does a memorial service and calls the family and pulls everybody together? Oh, no, 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 we, we, we call a minister. Oh, I get it. Yeah, it's all good when it's good. Anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> anyway, you know, I mean, you got to... So Fred Luskin says that the number one thing is, the number one resource is people. Number one resource in our life. And Holmes says the same thing in the chapter. It's our interdependentness. It's, it's our relationship with one another. It's people. And then the next thing is to have a purpose in our lives. So have some bigger purpose than ourselves. So why develop our talents and skills and gifts? So we can have more? Because most people do that. More and more. I'm in that, that hotel in the Fairmount. I'm like, my God, Caesar didn't eat this well. Every time I turn around, someone had some gourmet thing. Mmm, look at that. You know. And, and nothing wrong with that, but that's not, that's not the ultimate goal, I don't think. But to, to, to make people, to learn how for myself, to learn how to be nice to people. But first, I've got to learn how to be nice to myself. And cut some people a break. Cut the people in line that have got too many items in their basket a break. And if this is divine right action, I'm here at the right period of time and my meditation becomes standing in this line. Or my meditation becomes, I'm going to put the stuff back, I'll come back later. I have a choice. But usually I stand there and I'm silently, you know, I'm doing the Superman laser eye thing and burning a hole in their chest and they don't know it. Unhappy people can't wait and they can't relax. Did you know that there's one billion people on this planet every night that go to bed with nothing. One billion, nothing. And it's not just one night, it's every night. That's not a world that works for everyone. How do we shift and change the consciousness? Where do we pour energy into that so we support peace so that the United Nations isn't falling apart because we don't care about peace anymore because peace is just an idea that we're not committed to. 
What we're committed to is Trump Tower more and more and more. How do we stand in the balance of that? I'm not saying not have stuff. I have stuff too. I have more stuff than I have. I have more stuff than I know what to do with. It's, it's, but it's understanding that that stuff is not my happiness. So to know how to nurture my friends. I love this. This is a, my gem that I used to start my talk at the first service, and it comes from Richard Rohr. It's one of my favorite pieces of the week. He says, I want you, I want you to be you, all of you, your best. I want you to be you, all of you, your best. If we're pulling for that, if we're for something, then we're, we're in love together. And then we take our attention off all this minutiae stuff that doesn't matter. So then we're nurturing our friends and we're nurturing ourselves. We're teaching ourselves how to be nice to people. I can think about being nice to people. In my head, I am so nice to people, you would not believe it. But sometimes I fall short of that. And people who have a good purpose to build the best of something. You know, I talk about we're, we're formulating this year, we're going to roll out an idea about what we want to do for facility. What would we do if we had a facility that worked at every level? And you're going to be part of that conversation. But not because we got to have a new facility. This is a great facility when it's not too cold. This is a great facility. But what would it look like if we had enough classrooms and then we could offer space to people that are doing similar things to us that we can collaborate with? What would that look like? What if we had a preschool here that was wonderful, that nurtured children in a way that, 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 that was an extension and an expansion of what we're talking about today? The leaders of tomorrow that would go out and help change the world and continue to nurture the world that works for everyone. What can you and I do that will make a difference? That's what makes us happy. How can I shift and change in my own consciousness and my own awareness so that I actually can make a powerful difference in the world? And while I'm doing that, as I'm standing in the world and I say I want to be the light of the world and the bugs keep coming at me to build a big enough container of unconditional love so I can just stand there and they keep bouncing off and saying, I get it, I get it, I get it. I get it, you don't believe it. And it scares you that I could stand here and want to live like that. But I'm not going to fight you on it anymore. This is my vow to myself. I mean, that's what the teacher Jesus modeled. Last thing he said on the, on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the third thing, Fred Luskin says, just be pleasant. To kindness. I can be kinder. To say thank you to when people do something. Thank you. When someone wrongs you, when someone wrongs me, not to rip them apart. To not write a three-act play up to destroy them or diminish them, to get it. They're doing the best they can. My dad taught me that. He didn't know what he was doing. Nobody gave him a parenting class. He was scared. He was scared. He always shook. My dad always trembled. He was scared. People are scared. We live in a world where it tells you there's not enough, you're not enough, and people are going to get us. How do we transform the consciousness into a world that works for everyone? It won't be by you and I contributing to that conversation that we have to protect ourselves. The way that we protect ourselves, the way that we show up in the world is we show up in the world understanding the love that we are, the truth of our being that we are. And it's not about our egoic identification that I am God. It's understanding that it requires the pride of our divinity and also this tremendous humility to understand that, yes, I can direct my life here, but there's a greater mystery that I'm part of and I'm open to that and I'm guided and directed in every good way. And then our lives can continue to be transformed. What wants to happen with this community and the programs? If we get so attached to what it's got to look like, it's not a big enough idea. So it's got to be in that co-creation, that beauty and that wonder and that joy. 
And so I just, I thank, it's so wonderful to be able to come home. It's so wonderful to, to be able to come back to this community and have this conversation. I feel so blessed to be part of this with you. I, there are so many, uh, the average, I think the average size of, of community within our movement is 50 people. That's, that's the average size church. And, and so when we have a, a, a larger uh, quantity of people to support us, we can do more with our programs. You allow me the freedom energetically, spiritually, and financially so I can be part of the bigger conversation. I'm so appreciative of that. If I were struggling every week to keep the doors open and find and all these things, and I've done that. But that's not the consciousness now. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the last 10 years being patient enough with me and continuing to be patient enough with me when I don't show up as my best. And reminding me, there's a, a, it's not about doing something. First, it's about knowing something. I'm just so grateful that, that I found this teaching that has been so precious and has given me a template to take all of the things that have happened in my life and put it in the context so it no longer keeps me from surrendering and putting things down so that I can be the best that I can possibly be. Because I want me to be me, and I want you to be you, and the best you you can be. So let's do that. So it is.